This podcast series is brought to you by the University of Sussex and is part of the university's knowledge exchange programs. From fitness and finance to beauty and games, there are millions of apps out there. And maybe you've got the next big idea for one, but where do you start? And if you're curious about what makes some apps successful and others not, this six-part series gives you a valuable insight into seeing if your app has got what it takes. With the help of three successful app founders, we'll be investigating and answering some of your questions. I'm Chris O'Hare, and I'm the resident app expert with 10 years experience in software development, and also founder of award-winning technology consultancy, Hair Digital. We've built apps for businesses, big and small. This is How to Make an App. Apps usually refer to two things, a web application, which is a program that works on an internet browser and a mobile application, which is on a mobile device. And most businesses need both, but for the sake of simplicity, we'll be concentrating on mobile apps in this series. But why should you build an app when there's around 5 million apps across the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store? These are the two biggest mobile platforms. Well, ever since the dawn of the first iPhone in 2007 and the App Store in 2008, apps have become a way to provide functionality in an entirely new way on a mobile device. A device that for the most part, you have to hand. And that creates a big opportunity to interact with a user 24 hours a day. And that's the first reason why you should build an app. You're able to communicate with your user through push notifications. And what this does is nudges them to look at your app and incorporate it as part of their daily routine. But another reason is the ability to access some incredible technology and sensors that these phones have. And that enables the app developer to do some extraordinary things. Some might argue that the convenience of being able to have the app ready to use on your device and able to use the app offline. But I don't think this is much of an argument now, as there is such a thing as app fatigue, where people don't use 62% of the apps on their phone if they average around 30 apps a month. And most people would default to using Google before using an app anyway. Before we get started, you need to ask yourself, why do you want an app? And you need to be very honest with yourself because it's not enough to just say, I'll get downloads being on the app store or because everyone else has an app. Can you do your idea without an app? And if you answer yes, then you should definitely start there. And if you also think about creating a sustainable business model, selling one-off apps on the app store, then the world has moved on. And you need to think how many apps that you've bought off the app store. And I bet it's not as many as you would think. So in this series, we'll be focused on creating apps that you pay a monthly subscription to use. And if after all these questions, you still want to build an app, then this podcast will help you navigate some of the hurdles in the process from conceptualizing your idea, funding, getting a developer to build your app, marketing, and then scaling your growth. You don't need to be technical at all. You just got to love solving problems. With me is Georgina from the University of Sussex. And Georgina is typical of many people who thought about making an app, but doesn't know where to start. And she's going to ask me the kind of questions a beginner would like to know. Hi, Georgina. Hi, Chris. Seriously interesting stuff so far. Thank you. Um, So if I had an idea, how would I get started? 
So Georgina, to start building your app, I go through a process called ideation and validation to start forming your idea into something we can use. And ideation is about getting your ideas out of your mind and into the real world. And validation is about taking those ideas and seeing if they solve the problem. Firstly, ideation. Writing down what's in your head is incredibly insightful. It creates structure to your idea and enables you to share and collaborate with someone. And some of the things you should write down include what's the problem that you're trying to solve? How are you going to solve it? Are there any other ways to solve it? And how will you sell it? And where will you sell it? Don't get too wrapped up on how this looks. You're just doing a brain dump of all the information that's in your head. And you can do this on your own or as a group brainstorm as they may spark off other ideas. It's also quite useful to define the persona of your ideal user at this stage. You may know your user incredibly well, and if you don't, you definitely should. But the main reason for this is if you had to pass on the project to someone else and they needed to think like the ideal user, how would you describe that person to someone else? Okay, great. That's really interesting. So I need to think about the problem that I'm going to be solving. I need to think about where I'm going to sell my app, who I'm going to sell my app to. So can you say a little bit more, Chris, about that defining the customer persona? Say how I should go about that and what kind of things I need to be thinking about. Yeah, it's a really good question, Georgina. So I like to use the audience of one methodology for my personas. And that's where you find real people in the real world that would be your ideal customer. And you can follow them on social media, but the idea is that you really get into their mindset and try and understand the demographics, their age, gender, the location, their career, the family, but also the psychographics. So what do they think like? What motivates them? What do they enjoy? And, and put all of this into your ideal customer profile. And then when it comes to marketing later, you have a person that you can actually target. And if they buy your product, you know you've nailed the persona. And I can use that information later as well to help me with my market research. So how do I know if my idea is any good? Because I might have a million and one ideas, but they might not be any good. How do I know that? How can I test that? Okay, so once you've done this, uh, you kind of need to validate some of these hypotheses that you've come up with. And I break this down into the three C's of customer, company, and competitor. And the first one we need to talk about is your ideal customer. And we need to talk to them. And we need to do that in as many ways as possible. And some ways include creating surveys, calling them up, interviewing them, invite them to a focus group. You can even go and observe them in action in real life. But the idea is you just get as much information as possible you need to know your ideal customer better than they know themselves. And you're looking to find out if they think that the problem that you're trying to solve is also a problem. And how much pain do they suffer? And will they pay to solve it? And if so, how much will they pay? And if they could solve it, how would they solve it? And do they want an app or a website? And some of these are just some really important questions. The next part is finding out if the problem helps solve your own problems or that of your company if you're working within one. Does it save your time? Does it enable you to do something that you couldn't do before? And does it transform your business model? Are you more productive because of it? 
does it enable you to get more sales and, and how valuable is this to you? And thirdly, competitors. Don't be too disheartened if you see they already exist because it just proves that your idea is a problem worth solving. But you also need to think about who they are and how they tackle the problems you're trying to solve. And they will have been through the same journey as you. Some of your competitors may only solve a part of the problem you're trying to solve or they're in a different industry, but it's all invaluable to model your business on their approach. This will enable you to take some shortcuts and improve on their failings. And it's not always the best to be the first mover. Ideas are cheap. Execution is everything. And with all this information, you can form the problem statement, the persona of your customer and evidence prove that your solution is viable, commercially, ideally. Okay, amazing. So I want to get out there and talk to potential customers and get their thoughts I want to understand the problem, understand if it's solving a problem for me and my business, and also understand my competitors. So understand what they're doing well, but also perhaps where they're making mistakes or missing opportunities so that I can capitalise on those. Okay, so what should I be seeing at this stage of the process to give me an idea as to whether what I've come up with could be a challenge to competitors? That's another good question, Georgina. And for me, if I can identify it solves a problem that I already face, and then when you speak to others and they confirm passionately that that problem really irritates them too, I think that's a really good indicator that it's a problem worth solving. People buy with emotion to look for those emotional responses when you talk to them. If their voice is monotone or they seem unenthused, then they're probably not going to buy your product either, regardless of what's coming out of their mouth. Simon Sinek's Start With Why is a book that will help you understand this emotive side to business. His famous quote, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that demonstrates the purchase intent comes from emotion. So I'm wanting to find a problem that is a problem for other people, not just for me, and a problem that my customers are passionate about when I speak to them. So in terms of developing my idea, how would I go about creating a prototype? So what you'll notice throughout this episode is that we're trying to prove our assumptions for our idea. This stage gives us another opportunity to find out if what we're doing is worth it. But to do so, we need to test different prototypes of the app to establish how the app should look and feel, but also whether it's still worth developing. And as simple as it may sound, drawing diagrams of how your app will look on a piece of paper is a great first step. Or you can make them on a computer using a tool called Balsamic. Now, these diagrams are called wireframes. And essentially, they're just very basic black and white outline drawings of what the app screen will look like. Then you can ask your ideal customer what they think of the idea after they've seen these wireframes. Then improve the designs with this feedback. You can also turn these into more detailed interactive prototypes using PowerPoint. Now this even surprised me when I first saw a PowerPoint prototype. Basically you can create clickable links on PowerPoint where your buttons can jump to another PowerPoint slide imitating what it could feel like using your app. But if you want to take it a step further, there are tools such as Figma and Marvel, which are great for creating very detailed prototypes. Now, you may struggle with some of the graphical elements, 
but you can hire a graphic designer on the likes of website fiverr.com to help you with some of this. And once you've done this, go back out to your customers and get further feedback on your prototypes. This information is worth its weight in gold. Be careful with asking advice from your friends and family because no one likes to give you the cold hard truth that your idea sucks. Strangers are definitely more vocal of their opinions. Now, if you can get these prototypes as close as you can to the final version of your app, then you'll be finding out exactly what your customers really think of it. Got it. Okay, so be wary of asking friends and family. Make sure you're speaking to your customers. And also, who'd have thought that to create a prototype for an app, I could use PowerPoint? I'm wondering what the advantage is of creating a prototype in PowerPoint over getting a designer to knock something up like a wireframe. So people have really poor imaginations and they can't really tell you if they would use something or not, let alone buy it. A prototype closes that gap between a black and white drawing and something that closely resembles a real looking app, especially if they could click and interact with it. So what would you say once I've got the prototype, whether it's PowerPoint, clickable, interactive or wireframe, what would you say is the best method for then getting that in front of my potential customers and gathering that feedback that's so important to help me make decisions about the next step? The way I would do it is identify where they would hang out on social media and then post a message being honest about how you've had this problem that you've been trying to solve and you're really looking for help from people in this group. Is it possible that you can have five minutes of their time to talk about it? It's amazing how receptive people are when you're honest and open. But people also have a tendency to ignore group messages. So direct messaging and phone calls are far more powerful. If you can bump into them in person at conferences or networking events, even better. Are there any other ways of validating my idea? Yeah, so another way of validating your idea is to create a web page marketing your app idea and how you're going to solve it. You can use a, a drag and drop website builder to do this. Something like ConvertKit is a great option. And one of the most important elements is to add a checkout page to see how many users actually go ahead and try to pay for it. What I mean by pay for it is literally enter the credit card details. Now, you don't actually take payment from the user. You just redirect them to a coming soon page and you'll email them when it's ready. But this is a strong indicator that you have a great idea. Once you've created the web page, you need to get users to come to your website. So what you could do is create paid ads on Google or on social media targeting your ideal customer. Or you can manually advertise a web page on Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups where your target customer hangs out. You can use this approach to figure out how your app should look, features it should have, and even different pricing brackets, just by creating different versions of your web page and seeing which is more popular. Okay, that's great. So creating a web page or even different versions of web pages and targeting my ideal customer to understand how they interact with that and whether they're willing to put money towards this app. There's quite a lot that I can be doing at this stage to check whether my idea is any good, to check whether I have customers that are willing to pay for the app, to check whether I'm solving a problem. How long should someone stay in this part of the process? Like, how do you know when you've gathered enough information to then move forward? 
So this iterative loop of prototyping should continue on a, an ongoing cycle with each bit of information you gather from the previous prototype. You should learn, hypothesize, modify your prototypes and then retest them. Now, there's no hard and fast rule to how long this should take and how long you should do it. But the consensus is the more you do in this stage, the more money you will save throughout the app development process. Developers making changes at a later stage can be quite costly. Not validating you're solving a problem that people would pay for is an even bigger costly problem. You maybe have touched on this because you're talking about, you know, having to make changes later in the process and that being really expensive. But is there anything else? Like what can often go wrong at this prototype stage? So we talk about these iterative feedback loops. People can get into eternal feedback loops, forever trying to improve the idea and never releasing the app. A good way around this is to set deadlines. Now, another common pitfall is that if you gather feedback from customers, but not your ideal customers, then this leads to false positives or false negatives. Where your user is affirming something to be true or false, but it doesn't help you on your journey and actually can lead you astray. That's also really important. I want to make sure that I'm gathering feedback from my ideal customer and not another audience because otherwise I could be gathering information that's going to lead me off down the wrong path. So thanks. Yeah, this whole thing has been really useful. So many insights. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Georgina. And thank you for listening. And if you'd like a cheat sheet for this episode, please go to www.hair.digital forward slash how to make an app and in the next episode we'll be talking about defining and designing your minimum viable product and so by the time august came round for bryson hove albion we had something which looked like a good minimum viable product bryson hove albion got permission from the club to actually sort of go wider than the initial test group and so in 2013 we launched a minimum viable product and went out to every fan within the stadium at Brighton Hove Albion. This has been a Fresh Air production for the University of Sussex.